Father God, we come before you humbly this morning, recognizing that you are our sovereign God. Above you there is none, beside you there is none, there's none equal to you. We thank you, Lord, that being the creator, being our all in all, you still know us and you desire for us to know you more. You know the number of hairs on our head, the number of our days. You know our thoughts, our desires. You know who we are. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to sculpt and mold us. You continue to refine us into the Christian that you called us to be. We are grateful, Lord, for this body of believers that you've gathered here through your sovereignty. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us into your family and that we can gather freely as like-minded believers here. Thankful, Lord, for this building that we have over our heads and the, the heaters to keep us warm during the service. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us this morning. Help quiet our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we can focus and concentrate on your word as it's taught from the pulpit. That we can not be hearers only, but be doers. Help us, Lord, to apply the message. That we would continue to grow in our relationship with you, grow with you. I pray for those who are here who have not received your saving grace, Lord, that you would prick their hearts and that they would their eyes would be open to the understanding that they are in dire need of a Savior. So we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for how you orchestrate through us. And we just pray, Lord, that this service here this morning would be to your glory and yours alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would, I'd like to start by reading out of Isaiah 40. Verses 12 through 14. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure? Who has weighed the mountains in a balance and in the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has his Counselor has informed him. With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him the way of understanding? I think if we were to entertain the thought of answering, answering these rhetorical questions here in Isaiah 40, the answer would be no one, right? Much like in Job 38 and 39, when God interrogated Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars? <laughs> no, it's not. Job had the right answer. I've got nothing. I am absolutely nothing, and I am insignificant. Yeah, comparatively, we are insignificant to the respect of God's sovereignty, which is our topic here this morning. Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite psalms. If you haven't read it recently, I would urge you to do so. We're only going to read verse 19 here this morning. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. You've probably in your studies heard of uh, different people calling major and minor doctrines. The sovereignty of God is, is nothing major. It is not a secondary doctrine. It is not relegated to some obscure corner of the Bible. Rather, this truth is the very bedrock doctrine of the character of God. 
This is the Mount Everest of biblical teaching, the towering truth that is foundational through all theology. From its opening verse, the Bible asserts that God is and that God reigns. Simply put, he is the great I am. He is God Almighty, not merely in name, but in full reality. God does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases, and with whom he pleases. All other doctrines of the Christian faith must be brought into alignment under this keystone truth. This truth is this. The sovereignty of God is the free exercise of his supreme authority and his right in executing and administrating his eternal purposes and will. It is his absolute active and continual reign over the heavens and earth and even hell itself. I looked up the definition of sovereignty, anything over two syllables, I generally look it up. And here's what I found. One, the quality or state of being sovereign, okay, or having supreme power and authority, closer. The status, dominion, power, or authority of a sovereign, royal rank or royalty, warmer. Supreme and independent power or authority in government as a possessed or claimed by a state or community. Not bad. They could have simply said, see God. Dominion, independent, authority, supreme power. That sounds like God the Father. That sounds like he who spoke the world into existence. It sounds like he who separated or parted the Red Sea. Or he who held the sun up in the sky. It sounds like he who brought the dead back to life defeated death, defeated sin, and grants eternal life to all those who believe. God must be a sovereign God to be, truly be God. A God, little g, who is not sovereign is not God at all. Such is an imposter, an idol, a mere caricature formed by man's fallen desire. A God who is less than fully sovereign is not worthy of worship and praise. But the Bible proclaims the sovereignty of God. If you look in Psalms 93 through 99, Psalms are considered the enthronement Psalms. Psalm 93, 1, the Lord reigns. Psalm 97, 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. And Psalm 99, 1, the Lord reigns. Only one who is the author of life, who is subject to no one, or nothing can reign with absolute power. How about one of my favorites, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things Hold together. Who created gravity that keeps our feet on the ground? God is exactly who Scripture declares He is. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven, of earth, and is the supreme authority overall. Nowhere is God's sovereignty more clearly demonstrated than in His salvation of the lost. God is free to give His saving grace to whom He pleases. 
God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He does not need to ask permission. He did not seek counsel when he wrote the names into the book of life. He is not obligated to extend his grace to any undeserving sinner. If he were to choose to save none, he would be fully just, he would be perfectly just. He might determine to save a few and be absolutely holy, or he could, cho- he could choose to save all. But God is sovereign, and that means that he is entirely free to grant his grace to who- whomever he will, whenever and however he chooses. From beginning to end, salvation is of God and ultimately for God. The Apostle Paul writes, From him and through him and to him, are all things. Romans 11:36. Here God declared to be the divine source, the decisive means and the designated end of all things. This is most true in his divine and preordained plan for salvation. According to this text, every aspect of the operation of saving grace is God initiated, God directed, and God glorifying. Every dimension of salvation is from him, through him, and to him. This is to say salvation originates from his sovereign will, proceeds through his sovereign activity, and leads to his sovereign glory. Charles Spurgeon in 1858 may have said this best. First then, divine sovereignty as exemplified in salvation. If any man be saved, he is saved by divine grace and by divine grace alone. The reason for his salvation is not to be found in him, but in God. We are not saved as a result of anything that we do or that we will, but we will and do as a result of God's good pleasure and the work of his grace in our hearts. No sinner can prevent God. That is, he cannot go before him, cannot anticipate him, God is always first in the matter of salvation. He is before our convictions, before our desires, before our fears, and before our hopes. All that is good or ever will be good in us is preceded by the grace of God and is is the effect of a divine cause within. Nothing in salvation is from us as the origination. Romans 3, there's none righteous, not even one. No one will seek God, and all have fallen short. This is not something we can achieve ourselves. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not a result of works so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2, 4 and 8. 
Does this mean we get to let go and let God? Does it mean we get to take our hands off the steering wheel, our foot off the pedal, and recline back and wait? As Apostle Paul would say, may it never be. Philippians 2, we are instructed by God to work our, our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Ephesians 6, we are called to put on the armor of God. Our Heavenly Father has given us everything we need to glorify Him in our pre-life, our earthly life. So take heart, Christian. Whether the sun is shining as it is today, the weather is sweet, and seemingly nothing can go wrong, our God is a sovereign God. Whether you are facing giants, whether the world is stacked against you, whether Satan is doing his worst, and the trials are towering over you like mountains, our God is a sovereign God. He is the author of life, and he is the creator of his divine plan that no one can thwart. God is sovereign over all. God sovereignly brought us here together this morning. God is also the same sovereign God who appointed Saul as king, which we'll be going through next. 